0: Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Uh, If you uh, don't have a Bible, you didn't bring one, in the red Bible right there in front of you in the pew rack, page number 787, I think you'll get near to our goal, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, If you didn't have a chance to... Put your four names of people that you're praying to bring to the dinner theater. You didn't have a chance to put that in the offering plate. Please put that in the offering box on the back wall of the church back there before you leave. We'll collect these and we pray over these on Wednesday night. We'll help you uh, to pray your friends into the program uh, so that God can touch their heart. I'd like to talk to you today about building a healthy church. Last week we kind of broke up the ground for this. And before we read our scripture for today, I'd like to ask you to take out your little sermon outline inside your Sunday Courier. Because we're going to talk about these four points. Uh, How can we have a healthy church here? First of all, by our behavior. Uh, How we treat each other is important in the church. Uh, If we want our church to have an effective ministry, we treat treat each other in the right way. Secondly, by the things we have in common. You know, health uh, health is, uh, is something that is contagious. When you have good health in the church, the church ministry can be effective. Uh, we just don't want to have services here just to turn the lights on and show up at a proper time. We want to be used by God. And so God reminds us, listen, you have all these things in common. Uh, be in unity in, this, in, your, in your spirit with each other. And then by our spiritual gifts. I believe that God has gifted every one of us that know him and have received Christ into our heart with a spiritual gift. That means a, a way that we can contribute to the ministry of the church. We can make this church effective for Christ. And so all of us using our gifts uh, can move this church forward. And then last, by the leaders of the church, God does lay his hand upon particular leaders for particular times for particular churches. And all of this is in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at that right now, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called. Paul, as you know right now, is, uh, according to his own words, in prison. He's there because he's waiting to be tried by the Roman emperor Nero. And uh, he's making good use of this downtime. Uh, He's preaching and he's writing, and here we are some 2,000 years removed from his imprisonment, and we're reading his writings here in the church today. The thing that really strikes me in verse number one is the fact that Paul doesn't say, listen, I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. You know what that means? That means that Paul believed that God put him in jail. Uh, Where do we get that in the Bible? Psalm 37.23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That means when we get up in the morning and we say, Okay, God, here we go. God takes it seriously. And he says, Okay, I'll go with you. And so when we allow God the privilege to go with us, he takes us. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And uh, Paul is saying in effect here, I'm following the Lord and he led me right to jail. You know, God leads us in our life into good places, which we like. And he also leads us into hard places, which we don't like. And here we find that that he led Paul straight to prison. He said, I'm the prisoner of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to walk worthy of your calling. He says, I want the church to really be different in the world. God has a different standard of behavior than the standard of the world. And you and I live in America. The standard of behavior in America is getting less and less every year. Uh, It just keeps going down the drain. People are acting more crazy all the time. They're saying right is wrong and wrong is right and they believe it. They've said it so many times. But here God says, this is the way I want the church to behave. Look at verse number 2. In lowliness, first of all, that's humility. You know, humility is a hard word to define. Philippians 2.3 helps me to define it. Let's read this off the board today, okay? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. You know, pride, I think, is the opposite of humility. And pride says, listen, the, the world revolves around me. I'm the epicenter of the world. Make me happy. Uh, please me. Humility is just the opposite. Humility says, listen, I want you to have this attitude, esteem other people better than yourselves. And so when we come to the church, what we, what we try to do is we want to put away our pride. That's hard to do because we're pretty proud. And we want to take on humility, and that means when we look at each other and see each other around the premises of the church and in the ministry of the church, we look and we say, hey, that person is better than me. That kind of puts us in a in a better position he says I want you to be humble in the church and then I want you to be gentle Uh, how otherworldly is this you know we live in a rough world people push each other around they tramp on you to get their goal Uh, they'll do anything to get you out of the way but in the church God says listen I want you to be gentle with each other when Paul was talking to the Thessalonian church he says listen don't you remember my ministry to you I was gentle with you just like a mother is with her child That's pretty gentle, you know that? And so in the church, we have to keep that in our mind. Try not to push each other around too much. Uh, Be gentle with each other. And then, he says, I want you to have long suffering or patience, making allowances for others. Uh, Whenever you think things are not going the way you want them to go, just be patient. Uh, Don't try to rock the boat. Uh, just back off and allow other people the opportunity to fail then then God will teach them what they need to know and then last but not least here is he uses the word love here and this is an interesting word this is the greek word agape and it means looking out for the best interest of other people being self-sacrificing you know i'm so thankful to you our church family because i know that you sincerely try to live by this standard Now Every now and then we mess up, and myself included. But the Lord has a higher standard for us. And when we come up here on this hill, and when we're doing our ministry out in the world, uh, God wants us to look out for each other's best interest. That is a foreign kind of love, you know that? But that's the love that God places in our heart when we come to him as our Savior. Uh, That's the way God wants us to behave. And then, then he starts to list the things that we have in common. Look at that with me, please, in verse 4. There is one body. What is that? That's the church. Uh, there's nothing as good as as the experience of a good church. You know, oftentimes we have people move into our community and they come from other places and they say, Lord, we're looking for a church. We had this church back home and it was just so special to us and it, was so, it just met our needs and and uh, they come to our church, and, and we hope that they fit in good here as well. Uh, because there's nothing really as great as having a good church. Uh, a place that you can use as a refuge, a family, away from your other family. Uh, a place that builds you up in Christ and encourages you to go out and serve the Lord. You know, when Jesus was having his ministry and just getting ready to go away and be crucified, he kept trying to reassure his disciples that everything was going to be all right. And uh, he wanted them to know that even though he was going to be resurrected or ascended bodily into heaven, his body would not leave earth. His body would be expanded on earth, and it would be the church. The church is Christ's body on earth. And so what he was saying to his disciples is listen, my ministry is not over, it's just beginning. It was localized there in the Holy Land in Jerusalem, and now it's going to be universalized all over the world. And so today we look out across the world and we say, hey, there's a church, and there's a church, and that's the body of Christ right there. Uh, Whenever you think about the church, I don't know if some of you have ever heard the term universal church or invisible church. How many people here have ever heard those terms used? Just raise your hand. Okay. Uh, In the Bible, the word church is used in different ways. Most of the way, it's a local church. It's the church at Philippi. It's the church at Colossae. It's the church of Thessalonica. It's the church at Laodicea. The church at Ephesus. It's a local church. But there are a few references in the New Testament that that kind of uh, raises our sights beyond the local to the universal church. Sometimes people call it the invisible church. I was reading a commentary on the book of Ephesians by Warren Wiersbe, and uh, he was telling about a pastor friend who was approached by a missionary. And you know, missionaries do get their funds from the church. That's why we're having this big push at Christmas time. We want to take care of our missionaries. And so the missionary came to his pastor friend and said, listen, I'd like to have some financial help from your church. And so the pastor said, well, what group are you in? Who are you associated with? And so the missionary said, I belong to the invisible church. And so the pastor was kind of taken back. The guy didn't answer his question. And so he kind of approached it in a different way. He says, What church are you a member of? And the missionary said, Well, I'm a member of the invisible church. And so the pastor started to think about it and he says, Well, when does this invisible church meet? Um, And who is the pastor of this invisible church? Well, that kind of offended the missionary, and he backed off, and he said, Well, you know, your church isn't the true church. I belong to the invisible church. Well, the pastor, the pastor said, Well, uh, here's some invisible money to help you in your ministry in the invisible church. Uh, the church in the New Testament is uh, a whole lot more than invisible. It's for real. It's the church that meets 52 Sundays a year. It's the church that comes when it's cold outside, and it's the church that comes when it's hot outside. It's the church that meets together and prays together and ministers to the community year after year and year after year. When things are high and things are low, it's the church that just keeps coming. Uh, We have the church in common. We really do. The next thing in verse number four, he says you have one spirit. That word spirit there is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.9 says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to the Lord. And so whenever we open our heart to Jesus Christ and we invite Christ into our life, really what he does is he sends his, Holy, he sends his Spirit to live in our heart. And so we have that common among us. You know, when we meet each other and we talk about each other, or we talk to each other, uh, inside all of us, we have the same God, the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. Uh, That's a tremendous common denominator. It really is. The word spirit here is the Greek word pneuma from which we get the English word pneumatic. And it means spirit or breath. Oh, I'll tell you, a real church is a church in which the Spirit of God resides and in which the Spirit of God moves among the members. Now, you can call... Oftentimes people call themselves a church, they have meetings, they teach, they preach, they open the Bible, Uh, they have all sorts of societies and fellowships, but it's dead. Nothing spiritual is taking place. And the reason why is because the power of the Holy Spirit is not in the church. God's Spirit is kept away, and he is kept away through pride Whenever people humble themselves in the sight of God and say, God, we can't do this ministry, that's when the Spirit comes. That's when the Holy Spirit comes into the church and says, Listen, I know you guys can't do it. I just, want you, I just want you to tell me. And whenever you tell me, I'm coming to your aid. And I'm going to do the ministry. And I'll tell you, isn't it neat when the Holy Spirit does the ministry? It really is. So we have the Holy Spirit in common. And we have a hope here, the Bible says, and that's the hope of the future. I hope you don't get tired of me mentioning this in the church. I believe that you can face anything in life if you know where you're going when you die. I believe that. No matter how tough life gets for you, no matter how many disappointments you have, no matter how many heartbreaks you have, no matter what happens to you in your life, if you know the moment your heart stops that you're going to be with the Lord, I'll tell you, you can make it in this life. Uh, Because that's our final destination, isn't it? That's the hope that we have. We come in here and we hope that we're going to live for a long time, but we know better, right? Some of us are going to die sooner than later. But all of us who have Christ in our heart are going to heaven. And we're going to meet each other on the other side. That's our hope. And then we have, the Bible says here, one Lord. The Greek word is kurios, and that's the word that the Roman emperor used to like to call himself, the Lord of the empire. Many Christians died because they wanted a Christian to say that Nero is the Lord. And when Christians were called before Nero and they said, listen, we'll let you live, just tell me that I'm the Lord, Christians would say, hey, listen, we're not doing that. That's not part of my lifestyle. I'll have to die because I only have one, one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And they said, okay, that's enough. You're dead. Uh, the word Lord means master. We have one Lord. Uh, we have one faith. You know, the church is the depository of the truth. God's safe deposit box. And our faith, and, I, and I've mentioned this to you before, is wrapped up in the Bible. It's wrapped up in this book. This is our faith right here. When people challenge our faith, we say, okay, show me that from the Bible. Chapter and verse. Let's say that, chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, this is our faith right here. Jude, verse number 3, says this that uh, we are to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. God God gave the saints the faith and closed the cover on it and God's not adding anything to it. It's finished. And so this is the faith right here. This is the faith that we try to live by. This is the faith that we point to when people have questions about God. It's all in the book right here. Somebody comes to you and says, listen, God spoke to me and I have, I have another book here. Unless you would you put it back here after Revelation. We said, listen, Revelation is the end. There isn't any more. And if you read the book of Revelation, you'll believe it is the end. It is the end of the story. We have one faith and we have one baptism. Uh, baptism is a wonderful thing. It's for somebody who has accepted Jesus. In the Bible, baptism is only for adults. Or people who have, first of all, maybe they're children, they've accepted Jesus. The next step for them is to follow Christ in baptism. That was their public confession of their faith when they followed Christ in baptism. You know, salvation is something that's in your heart. Nobody can see that. But baptism is our display to the world. Next Sunday in our church, we're going to have baptism. And some people are going to get baptized next Sunday. And you'll see that right here in the church. Years ago, we took a trip to Haiti. And we took our, our group, and uh, on a Sunday morning, they said, we're going to take you in the, they call them tap-taps. They're just little vehicles where you put as many people on there as you can before they leave. Many chickens as they can get on there, and ducks, and anything else you have to transport, they, they come on with you. And so they took us up into the mountains to a little village called Pierre-Pine to a service. Now, we rarely stood out in Haiti. All these American tourists. And so we went up to this little church. And they said, boy, this is fortunate you're here today. We're going to have baptism today. And we saw these people. And they had these big, long, white robes on. Man, they went all the way down to their feet. And they said, these are the people who are going to get baptized today. After the service, he says, we're going to go down to the ocean. It's a mile away. These soft Americans. A mile away. And we're going to have a parade to the ocean because we're going to have baptism there. So after the service, everybody got lined up. They had the drums. They had instruments. And we, we were in the parade. And so we had, I don't know, remember, six or twelve people with these white robes on. And so we went down and we're headed down to the ocean. And right when we got down to the town area, they turned in to go through the town. And we, that, we thought that curious. And we said, why are you going through the town? And they said this. They said, we take the people in the white robes through the town. And if anybody in the town pulls them out of the baptismal line because they're living in sin, we won't baptize them. That'd be stressful, wouldn't it? If you were a candidate for baptism. And so we went through the town. Nobody got pulled out. And so we finally got down to the the ocean and they baptized these people in the ocean. They were saying, listen, to the town, listen, I'm a Christian. Now we know that baptism doesn't save anybody, but it is a step of obedience after a person has been saved. It's a snapshot to the world. Listen, I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm going to publicly declare my faith in Christ through baptism. We also... Uh, Promote the health of the church by our spiritual gifts. The Bible says here in verse number 7 that God distributes these gifts to us by his grace. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.7, I think we have that, don't we? Do we have that? 1 Corinthians 12.7. I don't see it. Okay, it says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And what that means is when a person is saved, God gives to everyone at least one spiritual gift. How many people remember years ago we were in the church, we took those gifts tests. Do you remember this? You take these tests and it would tell you what kind of gift you had. How many people remember that? You know, I'm glad those days are gone. You know that? I am. We just kind of do it the old-fashioned way now. You just head out and try to serve the Lord. And if that don't work, you say, that's not my gift. I'll try something else. I remember one guy came to... Uh, came to us one time and he says, I'm trying to find my gift. I feel like I'm, I should be a teacher. And we thought, okay, we'll put you down here in one of these boys' Sunday school classes. Well, he came out of that class. His hair was going this... They nearly killed that guy in that Sunday school class. And he said, you know, that's not my gift. And we said, boy, well, we know it. Please never go in that class again. So he did it like the trial and error method. That's not a bad method. Uh, we need to find where we fit in the church and sometimes we head out and we say, that's not it. And then we head in another direction and we say, hey, this fits good. Uh, God has provided a place for all of us to minister in the church. Our spiritual gifts. He's given some people the gift of wisdom. Some of you, when you have questions, you know who to go to to get a good, solid answer. He's given some people the gift of mercy. You know that person to go to if you're looking for mercy. Mercy. Usually not the pastor. It's Diane Mussey. And you're looking for knowledge. So you say, "Boy, this person really knows a lot about the Bible." You go over there. Person has faith. You go to them and you say, "You say, you know, my faith's a little weak. I know yours is strong. Talk to me." Um, we uh, div- we keep the church unified and healthy by the leaders that God gives to the church. Now, God has given us so many wonderful uh, leaders in our church. Uh, here in Ephesians 4, some of them are, are listed for us, the apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, the apostles, of course, referred to that original 12, the group that really did the, uh, broke up the ground and established the church. If you get on Route 51 going up to Uniontown in Periopolis, there's a big sign. There's some guy in there, It's called the Apostle Somebody, it's his church, he's an apostle. Somebody told me that after the service, first service this morning, and I said, please leave the guy alone, don't bother him. Uh, There are are 12 apostles in the New Testament, but there are other people in the New Testament too that were called apostles. Barnabas was called an apostle, other people, and uh, we can use it in the strictest sense or in a lesser sense, we're... They were a representative of Christ. Uh, We don't think that we have many people like that around today. And then there were the prophets. A prophet was a person that came to a church and told the church what God wanted them to know before the Bible was completed. And uh, I'll tell you what, that was a pretty heavy responsibility. I know we don't have any of them today because we have everything that God wants us to know in the Bible. And then we have the evangelist. How many people know what an evangelist is? You think you do. Right. I think think many of the evangelists today are missionaries. they are people that go to a place and the only thing they can do is win a soul to Christ and they win another soul to Christ and they win another soul to Christ. And all of a sudden a little church is born there. Uh, And An evangelist is a person that's always witnessing. There are people in our church like that. I mean, they'll witness to anybody, any place, any time. You just—that's just what they. That's what they get up for. That's what they go to bed. That's what they live for, to tell the old old story, that Jesus saves. They're evangelists, and then there's the pastor teacher, and that, by the way, is only one office. It's not two. I've known pastors that were very good teachers, but poor pastors, or poor pastors and good teachers. Uh, that's two aspects of the same job. A pastor is a hard job. A past, being a pastor is a hard job. Because the Bible likens the church unto sheep. Not goats, sheep. And you know when you put a sheep down and you say, hey, go do this. Does the, do the sheep listen? <laughs> they don't. They, they go crazy. And, and you turn your back and they're gone. And you say, hey, what happened to the sheep? And you say, oh, I've got to go find them again. There they go, they're lost. That's the job of a pastor. You know, pastors are required today to do a lot of things. They really are. Uh, There's a lot required of them. Uh, They're expected to preach, to lead, to administrate, to visit, to marry, to bury, to care, to counsel. Kind of like Superman. Uh, But you know, in our church, thank God, there are many people who are trying to help pastor the church. You'll get a call on your phone from one of our prayer shepherds and they'll say, hey, listen, my name is Bill Smith. And I'm on the prayer team of the church and I'm just curious if you have anything I can help you in prayer. That's pastoring the church right there. Uh, We have a lot of wonderful help in our church. Uh, But this is how the church is promoted and how it becomes healthy by our behavior, by the things we have in common, by you and, you and me using our spiritual gifts together, let's, let's just work together. And then by our leaders in the church. Thank God we have some good leaders in the church. They're solid, they're steady, they're not perfect, and you're praying for them that God will help them to be better leaders in the days ahead. Um, let's all do our best to build the healthiest church that we can have. Because when you're healthy, you can do the work of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I'd like to ask you to look into your heart. And I just want to ask you how you've been participating in the church. Um, How's your behavior? Uh, All of us have to talk to ourselves continually about these things. Because of the ways of the world are very close to us. They're nipping at our heels all the time. And we have to say to the Lord, Lord, make me a humble person. Help me to be gentle. Help me to have patience. Help me to look over some of the mistakes of others. Because I know they're going to have to look over my mistakes. Help me to love, Lord. Help me to be self-sacrificing in my love. How many of us have been giving our spiritual gifts to God in the church? Lord, I know you, want me to, you have a place for me in the church. You want me to serve just show it to me. And then praying for our leaders. You know, they, their job isn't that easy. They're trying to watch over the flock. They're trying to protect the flock. Uh, they're trying to minister to the flock. They're, they're going to the hospital and crying with the people. They're going to the funeral home and crying with the people. Uh, that's not an easy job. Let's pray for them. Dear Lord, move among us today as we have our invitation. Uh, Bless us together, Lord. Uh, If we have a need, a spiritual need in our heart, I pray that you give us freedom to come to the altar and pray about it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation. And as we sing together, if you'd like to come and pray, just feel free to come and kneel here right across the front of the church. Take your needs to God. Take the needs of your friend to God. As we sing, we fall down and lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus.